We're going to go ahead and start. Um, I'm laughing, and I think that it might be a little bit about how God feels towards us sometimes, because I'm just going to give you all a little heads up that my first point is about appointed time. <laughs> so I appreciate the object lesson from those that aren't in here right yet. <laughs> but I think that God kind of... Th- that's right. So, but we are going to, in the interest of the appointed time, we are going to go ahead and get started. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this chapter. Father, you are holy, and you are the author of our lives, and we thank you for that. We praise you for that today, Lord. We praise you that you have given provisions for how to worship you. I pray that this hour, this it's not an hour, this few minutes that we spend today in your word would um, open your word up to us, to our eyes, to our ears, and to our heart, Lord. I pray that truth would be spoken and truth would be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going, we had several chapters this week, um, chapter 21 through 24, but we are going to park in Leviticus 23. So if you will turn there. Um, In the interest of warning, I have a lot of scripture that I want to share with you today because scripture illuminates other scripture. So um, you might want to, if you're taking notes, you might want to decide to write the reference down as opposed to the the whole verse that I'm trying to read you because I am going to move through this fairly quickly, which I know is a huge surprise to all of y'all since I talk so fast. (laughs) We try not to talk quite as fast. I do have a note here to remind you that we will be having lunch next week as a group. Your leader probably told you that. Um, So if you will let your leader know if you'll be able to be there or not, it'll be $10 a person and we'll be having tzatzikis and we'll just stay after large group and fellowship together, which is always a good fun time. And we're doing that because y'all, we're at the finish line. Three more chapters, and we can all officially call ourselves Leviticus graduates. We have actually studied the word of Leviticus, but and how rich of a study it has been. I am amazed when I think about how far God has brought my personal heart since um, our fearless director said, hey, y'all, why don't we study Leviticus about two years ago? And the silence was deafening. But here we are, <laughs> and God has brought me, and I feel like so many so many of us so much further from the study of his word, as he always does. Why would we question that? So anyway, so we're going to start, for those of you who have just come in, with my first point for the day that we see in these chapters, which is appointed time. So um, we see in Leviticus 23, 4, where appointed time, where God clearly values time. As you go through these, this chapter, if you looked at... Um, the measurements of time, you would have noticed that time of, a measurement of time is mentioned 55 times in chapter 23 of Leviticus. God clearly values time. So much so that the canonized word of God begins with a reference to time in the beginning, and creation is described to us in increments of time in Genesis 1. Time has always been important to God. God was intentional about the usage of time for the Israelites And he expected them to be intentional about their time as well. He gave clear instructions on how they were to use their time. God allowed for three important usages of their time in regard to these feasts and festivals. Rest, work, and worship. God provided for solemn rest on the Sabbath and in the other feasts and festivals. This was rest with a purpose. It was a serious matter. We see where he calls it a solemn rest in the ESV. This was not a time for laziness or for frivolous activities, but rather for rest 
for the purposes of honoring God in that rest time and in the rest of their lives. Um, God valued work, and he purposed that the Israelites work. As God set up the calendar for the Israelites, he clearly expected them to be about the busyness of work, providing for their families. From the beginning of time, God had work for man. In Genesis 2.15, it tells us, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God's expectation that the Israelites had work to do is implied in Leviticus 23 when he tells them not to do their ordinary work on certain days during the feasts and festivals. The third point is worship. God provided the Israelites opportunities for worship through the Sabbath and through holy convocations. We see that in each of the feasts and festivals that there was a holy convocation, which is a public assembly gathering to remember and worship the Lord. So he provided the opportunity for the Israelites to worship. We also see God's appointed time and that he values time as we study the events of Jesus' birth his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his return. Throughout the gospel, we see accounts of Jesus' life and references to his time. For example, in Luke 2.22, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I missed a point that's really important, so I'm going to go back to that. Luke 2, 1 through 6 shows God's regard for time concerning Jesus' birth. That passage begins with the words, in those days, and it concludes with, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then we see it throughout Jesus' life in Luke 2, 22, as I just talked about, when he was being presented to the temple when he was 12. In John 2, 4, Jesus is present at a wedding in Cana, and the host has run out of wine. Mary, the mother of Jesus, appeals to, appeals to him to help, and his response is, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus prayed in the garden before his arrest and crucifixion in John 17, 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your, so that your son may glorify you. Matthew 24, 36 tells us concerning the return of Jesus. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So we see that God not only valued time for the Israelites, he valued time for Jesus as well in his life. And Jesus spent his time on earth in the same pattern that God had given to the Israelites, rest, work, and worship. For rest, we saw that Jesus led his disciples to a desolate place in Mark 60, 30 through 31, so that they could be by themselves and rest. He was asleep in the midst of a great storm while at sea with his disciples in Matthew 8, 24. He clearly knew the importance in his father's eyes of rest. He also knew the importance of work. Mark chapter 1, 14 begins an account of the work of Jesus during his time here on earth. In all four of the Gospels, we can see Jesus doing his father's work, working. He started his life at the footstool of a carpenter, and he is referred to as Jesus the carpenter. I couldn't really find anything that explained how long he worked as a carpenter, but the fact that that name was given to him tells you that he spent time in work. He had to learn how to do carpentry, so he spent time in work. He also spent time in worship. Jesus' whole life was an act of worship to his father. Matthew 26, 30 and Mark 14, 26 picture Jesus singing a song of praise. 
And Mark 14, 26 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. He is quoted in Hebrews 12, 12, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus' life reflected worship, and he also was intentional about worship. God values how we spend our time. He's given each of us 24 hours in a day. Here's where we execute our free will. Do we choose to spend our time intentionally as God designed and demonstrated to the Israelites? Or do we choose to fill it with things and activities that take our, take our attention away from God's design? We are to spend our time, for the most part, in rest, work, and worship. That was God's design for the Israelites. That was Jesus' example, and that is the design for our life. The primary components for our time are the same as God gave to the Israelites. So rest. Rest is good for our souls. We are to rest physically. That means we're to get a good night's sleep and not allow our rest to be robbed through overcommitments and unnecessary activities. There are many studies these days about how technology and social media rob us of good rest. We are also to rest spiritually. The number one biggest obstacle to resting spiritually is anxiety. We tend to have worry and concern about circumstances, decisions, opportunities, and responsibilities. We worry about all the what-ifs in life, and that robs us spiritually, robs us from spiritual rest. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 tells us, Therefore, I tell you, this is a command, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? This passage continues on and concludes in verse 34 with an explicit command. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Therefore, do not... I just said that. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, God wants us to rest. He wants us to rest physically, and he wants us to rest spiritually. And he gives us the means by which to do that in his word. He shows us how we are to rest spiritually. And the biggest way to do that is to rely on him, to trust him, to recognize his sovereignty and know that he is trustworthy. Work. We all have work to do. All of us do. It may look differently for each one of us. Uh, but God instructs us through Paul in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. God expects us to work and he expects us to do it for his glory, whatever that work is. God has provided instructions that we are to worship. We're designed to worship God. Just as Jesus' whole life was an act of worship, our whole life is to be an act of worship. But he's provided us the opportunity for corporate worship. And that is important to him. We see all through Leviticus where he talks about holy convocation. And that is a public gathering of the assembly for the purpose of worship. So God wants us to worship. It, worship is a balm for our souls. It refocuses on God who is our great provider. It encourages us as we work where God has us working. It provides rest from the things of this world. 
Worship brings us to a place where we can learn and acknowledge who God is and what he has done in our lives through the provision of a Savior. Worship also brings us to remember the blessings he has bestowed on us and to remember the promises he has given us in his word, just as he designed worship for the Israelites. So we are to rest, work, and worship. So we're going to continue on. I feel like I could almost stop there. I feel like that's a whole lesson in and of itself. But we're going to continue on and see what else we can see in these feasts and festivals. We've already talked about the appointed time of the festivals. I haven't given you the specifics of the time, but you can easily read that in Leviticus 23. It's very clear with the time. It gives you the hour. It gives you the date. It gives you the date on the calendar. It gives you everything. So I'm not going to um, park there. We are going to talk about the anointed purpose of each feast and festival, the anticipated promise for each feast and festival, the appropriated judgment, and an admonishment for today about each of these feasts and festivals. God provided these festivals as a reminder of his character and his actions. He wanted the Israelites to remember his power and grace, which would enable them to respond to him with appropriate dependence, obedience, and worship. I also am going to take a little aside instead of talking about each feast and festival concerning appropriated judgment and just give an overview of that real quickly. We saw in Leviticus um, 20 last week the penalty phase of God's instruction, of disobedience to God's instruction. The three penalties discussed in that chapter for disobedience to God's laws were to be put to death, to be cut off from the people, or to have no future generations. These are the same penalties for disobedience in this chapter. Leviticus 23, 29, and 30 tells us, For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. God was very serious about obedience then, and he is now. Jesus has taken the death and the being cut off for us. Jesus died for us for the punishment for our sins, and he was cut off from God for a period of time on our behalf. We still have consequences to our sin, but we can rest in the thanksgiving of God's grace who has provided the punishment in Jesus. At the same time, our hearts should break in sin over the punishment that was given on our behalf to Jesus. We should not ignore that punishment. We shouldn't take the promise of forgiveness as permission to sin. Second John 1, 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. We have to remember that God is a God of mercy, and God is a God of grace. But God also is a God of judgment and wrath. And our wrath was put on Jesus, our Lord, and that should cause our hearts to break in response to our sin. So there is judgment for disobedience. So let's start with the Sabbath. The uh, the anointed purposes of these feasts and festivals are twofold. They were commemorative of what had happened, and they foreshadowed what was to come. The Sabbath was a reminder of what God had done as the creator. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, Genesis 2, 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work he had done in creation. Its purpose foretold the holiness of the day of Jesus' resurrection. 
According to Reverend Doug Servine, who is with City Presbyterian, he said, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, the first day of the week. When that happened, all of time was changed. Time was marked and is marked from us from that day and that date. So we fulfill the Sabbath on what is called the Lord's Day or Jesus's Day each and every week until he returns. The commandment for the Sabbath is not obsolete. It is not gone. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, and because of that, we, we practice the Lord's Day and keep that day holy. We hope, gather on that day to give honor and thanksgiving to God. Y'all, a day is coming when our worship will last much longer than one 24-hour period. Revelations 15, 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. We've already talked about worship and what it is for us. Do not neglect it. Don't neglect um, corporate worship. The Lord always calls individuals into a body of covenant keepers, knowing that all believers need brothers and sisters to strengthen them to live as his holy people. Our memory verse for this week, and yes, it is written down up here. I'm not saying it from memory. I'm trying. (laughs) Is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, which reminds us of why we're together together. And let us consider how to stir one another up, up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're still to celebrate the Lord's Day. The Passover. The Passover feast was to commemorate God's divine grace and deliverance of the faithful. The Israelites in bondage in Egypt were to spread blood on the doorpost of their homes, and the angel of death would pass over those homes as a part of one of the plagues. By passing over the Israelites' houses in Egypt, where blood had been smeared on the doorpost, God allowed the Israelite firstborns, firstborns to live. You can read about that account in Exodus 12, 21 through 31. It, this feast, the Passover feast, foretold Jesus as the Passover lamb. Jesus was crucified at the exact time of the Passover feast. He is the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Our Passover lamb, Jesus who gave his life so that death will pass over us, will reign eternally. We see that in Revelation 11, 15. And that is our anticipated promise, that Jesus will reign. And I love this verse. I'm not going to sing it, but I bet there are some people out there that the music is going to hit your head right away. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We have that promise. We have that promise. We're shown that promise through the Passover. Today, we commemorate Jesus' death by participating in communion or the Lord's Supper. It is during communion that we remember and proclaim Jesus as our Savior. John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Israelites, part of the Israelites, the purpose of these feasts and festivals were for the Israelites to be set apart they were to be set apart, not for protection of their own, not to be, go live on a hill as, as believers and faithful. They were to be set apart to show the world who God was. And we are still called to do that today. 
that's one of the things we do through communion, through the observance of communion, is that we show the world that we believe and trust and know Jesus as our Savior, and we remember his death and resurrection. So our admonishment today for the Passover is to not neglect to participate in the Lord's Supper. Next, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is in Leviticus 23, 6 through 8. This feast immediately followed the Passover. This was a community celebration. Remember, it's important for us to gather together to remember the Lord's deliverance of the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. Exodus 12, 17 tells us, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. So the Israelites were to remember that during this time. But this feast pointed to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which would deliver God's people from bondage to sin. Remember, it immediately followed the the day of Passover, and this was the time frame in which Jesus was uh, killed and resurrected, which he rescued us from bondage to our sin, just as God rescued the Israelites out of bondage to their slavery. We are no longer slaves to our sin. We are new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what are we to do? We're to repent and to confess and repent of our sin. And Jesus will release us from bondage. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The offering of first fruits. This was presented on the first Sabbath after harvest. This was an opportunity for the Israelites to give honor and thanksgiving to God for his generous provision. God has continued to provide for the needs of his people. The Israelites were to offer the very best, the finest of their harvest. The first gleaning to God. God provided us with his very best, his only son as Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the commemorative purpose here was God's generous provision. It foretold of Jesus as the first fruits. Our anticipated promise is that we shall remember Jesus. We shall resemble Jesus as we will be found righteous and blameless before the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what are we to do? We're to follow the example of Christ. Um, We are to give our best to God while we are here on earth, because he has already given us his best, and he will honor that in eternity. We are to follow the example of Christ. 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. The Festival of Weeks. This festival is also known as the Festival of the Harvest, or as Pentecost, which means 50, because it was held 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. It was a community celebration of the Lord's provision in the harvest. The festival reminded the Israelites that the Lord who delivered them from the land of slavery 
would provide for their needs in the land of promise. The festival of weeks was a foreshadowing to the Israelites of the harvest of souls, which occurred at the time of the Pentecost, which was the receiving of the Holy Spirit that is recorded in Acts 2. So it's called the same thing, Pentecost. The festival of weeks is also known as Pentecost because it was held at the exact time. Y'all, we can't make this stuff up. God clearly is orderly and he values time. How did he come up with that? Because he is the great God. I could plan that. It would never happen. But for God, everything in his sovereignty was perfectly in place. And we see that through the harvest that he provided for the Israelites and the harvest of souls that he provided in Acts 2.41 after the giving of his Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. The anticipated promise was the coming of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit did descend on the disciples at Pentecost. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. We have that now. We have the Holy Spirit as believers. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to walk in the spirit. So how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to walk in the spirit? We're supposed to walk in the spirit by knowing God's word, knowing his expectations, following the example of Jesus so that we can walk in the spirit while we are here on earth and we are promised the eternity of the spirit as we move to the next stage. The Festival of Trumpets. This was another community celebration for the Israelites to prepare for the most sacred month of the Hebrew calendar. The day marks the end of one agricultural year and the beginning of another. This is a foreshadowing of the resurrection of the dead when Jesus returns. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. God has promised us that Jesus will come again. And that is the anticipated promise through this feast that Jesus will return. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. So what does that look like for us? That looks like we are to be mindful that this is not our eternal home. The things of earth will pass away. 2 Corinthians 2, 4, 8, 2, I mean, 2 Corinthians 4, 18 gives us instructions. As we are not to look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So as we go about the business that God has given us of rest and work and worship, our focus is to be on the eternal. We have a promise of what is to come. We studied the Day of Atonement three weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. And as Aaron reminded us, the Day of Atonement was God's graciousness to the Israelites and providing a way back to him. 
The day of atonement foreshadows the provision of God through Jesus' blood for us to be reconciled to him. You can read about that in Romans 5, 10, and 11. We have the promise of righteousness through the blood of Jesus. That is the anticipated promise of the day of atonement. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our admonishment for today is to remember that Jesus is the way. He is the only way for us to have relationship with God. God has provided Jesus for us. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we chase the temporary things of this earth, we can take our eyes off the fact that Jesus is the only way to the Father. If we can remember that Jesus is the only way to the Father, our focus will be redirected to the eternal things. The Feast of Booths. Booths, that's a hard word. The Feast of Booths was a community celebration that served to remind the Israelites of God's mercy and provision in bringing the Israelites out of slavery and having them dwell in booths in the wilderness. These booths were temporary shelter for the Israelites. The Lord was leading them into the promised land where he would continue to provide for them. This pointed to the fact that life on earth as it is now is temporary, but our permanent citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is preparing us a place for us in heaven to dwell with God forever. John 14.3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So what can we do? We can live for eternity, even today, by remembering God's promises and obeying his commands. Our destiny is described in Revelation 21.3, our destiny as believers. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So what about us? What is our appointed time? Our appointed time is now, y'all. Our appointed time is the moment that we are living in. We're to remember what happened in the past. We're to look to the future. But we are to honor God with our time and our present. Our anointed purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him always. We are to recognize in how we fill our time, what we say and what we do. How does that glorify God and how does it help us enjoy him forever? Our anticipated promise is that we have eternity. God has provided eternity through, for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And our admonishment for today is for us to remember to live in obedience. We are at the finish line of Leviticus. And as we, enter, as we finish Leviticus, we jump right into what our calendars will tell us are important celebrations and festivals. God values celebration and festivals. We see that through the provision of these God values what we are going to do over the next two months. But he wants to make sure that within our celebrations, we are remembering to rest, to work, and to worship. 
So I would challenge you as you make plans for Thanksgiving, which is actually a man-made holiday, but a beautiful holiday because it reminds us to give thanks to God as our provider. And as you enter the Advent season where you're anticipating the birth of Jesus, that you make time and make time and make your plans center around him and center around eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much today for your provision. I thank you for teaching us so much for your, your word. Lord, you were so faithful to the Israelites, and they, like us, were not always faithful. But you and your providence provided us with a Savior. I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we will be mindful of being obedient to you and how we spend our time and that we make sure that we are living in the confines that you gave the Israelites that stand for us today, that we would be restful, purposeful, that we would worship and work well. In Jesus' name, amen.